planning to live in your home for the rest of your life. On the next On Air with Myrick O'Connell, right now. Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. Staying at home. It's an important topic for a lot of people, particularly in the wake of COVID. People generally want to avoid nursing homes, even assisted living, and just stay in their house until they die. But to make this happen, you have to plan. Here to discuss this with us is Myrick O'Connell, elder law attorney, Arthur Bergeron. Arthur, welcome back. Howard, thank you, and it's always a pleasure to be back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. So if... You know that you want to live at home for the rest of your life. What do you do first? Well, I think the, the thing that you do first is stop just worrying about it. You know, you, you know, inevitably, these are issues that kind of are floating in the back of your mind. And I know myself, you know, my wife and I, I'm, tr- I'm turning 72 this month. You know, my wife and I have been in our house for a long time. But, you know, could we live there forever? And And you have that in the back of your mind. But then you're like, well, how do I figure it out? So the first thing is stop worrying about it and kind of start figuring out a plan. And this, then the second thing is once you've, once you know that you're going to do this, figure out who you need to talk to and you know, who you need to talk to is not necessarily just, you know, the guys at the Dunkin' Donuts that you see in the morning, you know, it's, 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 it's people who can really help you figure this out. And the, and the kind of, there are several places that you can go to talk to folks. One is the, the senior center. Um, because, you know, you can imagine they're dealing with folks who are dealing with this all the time. So they probably have some good suggestions for who to talk to. The second is someone from, um, in, in what is now called Bay Path Elder Services, which is the regional nonprofit in this area, um, through which all government funds for elders are funneled. But they also provide just a lot of assistance for seniors who are just trying to figure out how to get on with their lives. And the other is to, is to you know, if you, I really strongly recommend to people, uh, talk to a geriatric care manager. Yeah. Uh, that is somebody who could really come into your house, look at your house, and kind of project and say, well, you know, if you really started getting frail, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, so get, get a professional who can kind of talk to you about this stuff before you, and, and then start making your plan based on their advice. Absolutely. And one of the key factors, Arthur, I would imagine, is evaluating your home, how to make it safe. What questions and aspects should you be looking at in that regard? Well, I, I think, you know, the first thing you want to, you want to do is you, you want to have that geriatric care manager, for example, or another professional um, look at your house with these things in mind. As you can imagine, if, if, you, if geriatric care managers and people like them are in the business of helping people like you stay home uh, for the rest of your life. And and so they may be able to look at your home through different eyes in terms of being able to look at, so what are the improvements that you might want to make from the small things like grab bars to the big things like elevators to make your house, uh, you know, a place that you could live in, you know, really until you die. And, and then you may, and then you may, they can, they may know or can, can recommend you to someone who can price that. So you can actually get a handle on, if you really want to stay home, what might that cost if you, if you were getting frail? And then you want someone uh, like a contractor who can talk to you about, so what would it cost if you're, if the boiler went, you know, if they, if the, if the water heater went, if the roof went. And because if you're talking about, you want to stay home for there for the rest of your life and say you're 70, this could be another 20 years at home. Right. right. 
And during that time, those systems may all blow up. And so you want to know what it would cost to replace them just so that you have in your mind, you know, do you have the resources or access to resources if those problems show up? Right, right. And and that really is the next question. I guess one would need to ask oneself, is the combined cost of all these things affordable? And if not, where would you find the money? How would you address all that, Arthur? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and by the way, Howard, before I get to that, I just want to mention one other thing, which is when you when you're trying to figure out those those you know the costs of staying home, also look at by talking with the geriatric care manager what it would cost if you actually needed some help. You know, if you needed to hire some help, right? Not like twenty four seven, you know, but some help with you know things like meal you know meal prep or shopping. Or, or just you know, helping you kind of get going in the morning. Those aren't those those you know are all things that you may need help with as you get as you get older, and you can't really expect your kids or friends to step into the breach in that case. You know, you, you need to be kind of planning. What if I need to pay for someone? But with with that in mind, once you kind of know what the home repair cost would be and what your home care might cost might be, then, you know, you really want to look at, so how can I pay for it and look at how much you have in savings. And then if that's not enough and you're living at home, which is the point, that's you're trying to stay home until you die. Then the question is how can you tap into some of the equity in your home in order to stay home as opposed to having to sell your home because what you don't want to do, you know, what you don't want to do. Right. Right. Exactly. So what are the different options for getting some revenue to be able to stay at home for the rest of your life? If you were trying to cover the cost of that home care in the future, then you may really want to look at buying long-term care insurance because the long-term care insurance, if you can, if you, if you're young, uh, young enough and young enough really usually means 70 or under may pay for all, you know, may help you really pay for all of that stuff, at least for the amount of care that you would need in order to stay home. Uh, if that's not an option, so because you're older and, or and, and you can't get long-term care insurance, then you really need to look at really the two ways of using some of the equity in your house. And they are, you could get a, a, a so-called HELOC, a home, a home equity line of credit, or you could get a reverse mortgage. What I try to emphasize to people is you want to look at both of these. You want to keep your eyes open regarding both of them. So that you can really evaluate kind of what the pluses and minuses are of, of each one, because it, it, and you want to find out whether you could qualify for either one. And and I, I want to emphasize that, especially regarding the home equity line of credit, because those have begun become, and I'd be happy to go into that more. But those have become more difficult to qualify for. And and why is that, Arthur? So so the, so home equity line of credit, which you know a lot of times they, they they were used to be called like home improvement, like home improvement loans. And in in the earlier you know earlier days, I know I'm, I'm old enough to remember when those those loans were pretty much only available if you were literally doing home improvements, if right. you were you know do, you know doing some construction in your house. Right. And now it's it's really expanded because you know people are are borrowing money for a whole variety of reasons, you know, to help pay for their kids' college or to or to provide for home care, for example, you know. So there are home equity lines of credit and. The reason why you want to be talking to your bank about how much you could get on that home and equity line of credit is kind of in general, 
the kind of the rule of thumb has always been, whoa, you can get a home equity line of credit in an amount equal to probably 75% of the value of your home. And the way that the line of credit works is um, it, you ba- you're basically getting a big credit card secured by a mortgage on your house. And, and so you get this credit card and, and just like a credit card, you don't pay any interest on any amounts until you've borrowed them. Um, and then like a credit card, once you've borrowed them money, you have to start paying interest. Now, and typically these, the HELOCs are structured so that in the initial years of the HELOC, you're only paying interest. And that initial period can be typically from five to 10 years, right? Uh, and then after that, the HELOC turns into a conventional mortgage in which every month you're paying monthly payments to make these payments self-amortizing so that at the end of the of the payments, you've paid off the entire mortgage. When the mortgage come, becomes self-amortizing, it doesn't become self-amortizing like for 30 years. It typically gets self-amortized over like 10 years. So the, the repayment cost, if you've borrowed a lot of money, the monthly payments end up being huge because you're having to pay off basically this amount of this big amount that you borrowed over only a 10 year period. Right. Hmm. So the reason why all that is of significance is that it kind of, I want to say in the old days, you know, I'm so old that in the old days, it's like, was like a long time ago, but in even (laughs) like as recently as maybe 10 or 15 years ago, when you were trying to qualify for one of these, the bank would simply look at, what your income was, and then they would take a percentage of your income, like 25 to 30%, and they'd say, is that percentage enough to cover the interest that might be owed on the amount on, the, on this line of credit? And then they would give you a line of credit up to this 75%, as long as you could show that you could cover the interest on that amount if you needed to. So then came the the bank collapses and the mortgage collapses in the you know 2008 2009 2010 right. and then came the regulators coming in and saying oh well you know one of the problems here was he had all these people with these with these home equity lines of credit and they couldn't make their payments right um, and so they basically changed the rules right and said well you know if you're going to be to the banks if you're going to be giving a home equity line of credit. You need to make sure that this bar that this borrower can pay not only what the interest might be, but what the payment would be later in the loan when the loan turns into a self-amortizing loan, so that people are making interest and principal payments. Right. Well, as a result of that, while the amount that the bank will now approve you for has become much smaller, even though in theory they can go up to seventy-five percent of the value of the property, because they're only going to approve you for this smaller amount based on how much basically like your social security and pension check can pay every, you know, what like 25 to 35% of that can pay to support that mortgage. Right. And for that reason, a lot of times people go to the bank and they're, and they're kind of, they're disappointed to find that, that they can only really get a very small home equity line of credit. Right. And so you really want to look at that and you want to go talk to the bank about this because it doesn't cost you anything to talk to the bank. Right. And then they're going to tell you, you know, based on these numbers, they can kind of do a rough estimate really quickly of, of how much you could possibly borrow. And then you want to compare that to what you could borrow doing a reverse mortgage. Let's talk a little bit about the reverse mortgages. Uh, people seem to have an unjustified aversion to it. Could you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, there are there are a number of kind of myths that have arisen about around reverse mortgages, and a lot of them come from some of the abuses of the reverse mortgage system uh, that happened shortly after re- the the federal legislation allowing reverse mortgages was actually created. R- Ronald Reagan was actually the president who signed the initial legislation allowing reverse mortgages back in 1988. So you can imagine that was a long time ago. And it was Ronald Reagan. Reverse mortgages only became allowed because the government was concerned to be able to allow people who otherwise couldn't get it to get access to the equity in their homes, right? And the idea behind a reverse mortgage, it would be like a home equity line of credit in that you would be borrowing money secured by a mortgage on the house but that you would not need to be making monthly payments on the amount that you borrowed. Instead, if you didn't make the monthly payment, which you don't have to do, the amount of interest that would have been owed for that month instead gets added at the end of that month to the principal. So it's like a tiny amount, but it then gets added to the principal. And then the following month, the amount that you owe in principal is a little bit higher. And therefore, the monthly payments goes up by a very, very small amount. So it's it's basically it's simply a home equity line of credit on which you don't have to make the monthly payments, right? Right. Um, but m- but many people instead think that for some reason, you know, oh, if I do a reverse mortgage, the bank just gets my house. Well, no, the bank doesn't get your house. The bank doesn't own your house. The bank gets a mortgage to secure this repayment, right? Right. And sometimes it happens, especially if people have lived for quite a while. And, you know, we, you know, Howard, you and I are both, know, you know, old enough to know that real estate goes up and real estate goes down. You know, it, <laughs> it's trended in general upwards, yeah. but there's been a lot of bumps, you know, over the last, well, certainly over the last 45 years that I've been practicing law. Right? Sure. And sometimes, so sometimes it happens that when the, the, when the, when the reverse mortgage comes due and the reverse mortgage comes due, if you're selling the property, or if you die, and typically it happens if you die, it, it comes due one year after you die. Sometimes it happens that when you die, the market happens to be down, right? And if as a result of that, you know, you've borrowed so much on your reverse mortgage because it was assumed to be a percentage of the value of your house, but now your value has gone way down. It might be you're upside down. That's the bank term, upside down. That is that the total amount that is owed is greater than the value of the house, right? right? right. In that case, once again, if if you're you got to get the mortgage repaid, and if after a year after you've died the mortgage can't get repaid, the bank has the option to foreclose on the mortgage, right? But that's the same thing as the HELOC. That if you if you've borrowed the money and then you can't repay it, the bank has the right to foreclose. But the two systems are the same, right? So really, when you're thinking about re- comparing the reverse mortgage to the HELOC, the concept is the same. You're getting a credit card that's secured by a mortgage, right? And in one case, you have to make monthly payments, and in the other case, you don't. The, but in, and so the advantage, of the obviously, of the reverse mortgage is that you don't have to make those monthly payments. But the other advantage, because of the fact that you don't have to make the monthly payments, is they don't evaluate your credit based on whether you can make the monthly payments, because you don't have to make the monthly payments. Right. They just want to make sure that you have the ability to pay the taxes and the insurance. Right. And so you're more likely to get more money available to you through the reverse mortgage.
We're talking about ways in which you can stay in your home until you pass. A lot of people are talking about that right now, especially in COVID times. So there's also an option called the Frail Elder Waiver Program that Mass Health has. Could you talk a little bit about that, Arthur? Sure. And the Frail Elder Waiver, I mean, you, you'll, you'll want to be aware of that program ahead of time, although, you know, in the nature of government programs, government programs change you know, over time. But you should be aware when you're trying to think about whether you would be able to get care at home if you needed a lot of it, that there is a program. Uh, through Mass Health, which is the Massachusetts name for the Medicaid program, that through which you can get those benefits. And the people who can talk to you a lot about that are the people at Bay Path Elder Services, because they're dealing with this all the time. They are really the gatekeepers um, th- through which you get qualified for this program. Because before you can qualify for it, the folks at Bay Path need to certify to Mass Health that a in the absence of this program and this care, you might need nursing home care, which Mass Health would have to pay for and pay a lot more money. And B, that you can be safe, you can continue to be safe at home as long as you get this care. And so as long as BayPath will certify those things, then you can qualify for this program. Now, technically, under the Mass Health regs, under the federal law, um, there is no limit to the number of hours that Mass Health will can pay for if you've qualified for this program. I'll tell you though, as a practical matter, I've been doing this work now once again for a long time, and I have yet to see a frail elder waiver case in which uh, Mass Health agreed to pay for more than 40 hours a week, right? So, and now, but now 40 hours a week is a lot of hours. I mean, it isn't going to keep you at home if you need 24/7 care. But, you know, from what I was talking about earlier regarding kind of evaluating your situation, unless you're in a very unusual circumstance, you will never afford 24-7 care. I mean, to give you a sense of this, there are 8,760 hours in a year. These are the pieces of trivia that you get to know as an elder law attorney, right? There are 8,760 hours in a year, and the, and, the, and the typical cost of the private pay cost of care over that uh, is about $25 per hour right now, right? So, you know, multiply 25 times 8,760 and you end up with a really big number. You end up with over a quarter of a million dollars, which is what it would cost you for 24-7 care. So that's kind of not, wow. that's not the option for anybody. And and it's not what MassHealth is going to pay for either because MassHealth, with 24-7 care, MassHealth would pay more to keep you at home than they would to send you at a nursing home, to that's a nursing right. home. That's right, yeah. Right? And so, you know, that that's not going to happen. But, but you should be aware of that as an option. Sure. And I mentioned that just because you want to, to the extent that you're trying to factor in, well, you know, what's going to happen if I get frail, you know? And the, the frail elder waiver kind of isn't going to take care of you if you're very, very frail. But then you couldn't take care of yourself if you were very frail either, right? We've been talking with Myra O'Connell, elder law attorney, Arthur Bergeron. Arthur, you've given us a lot to think about for those who want to stay in their homes for the remainder of their lives, which is really a big deal right now, particularly during COVID times. How can folks reach you if they have questions or concerns about this topic or any elder law issue? Yeah, well, they can always call me. You know, but my number is my direct line is 508-860-1470. They can also email me at abergeron, A-B-E-R-G-E-R-O-N, 
at myrickoconnell.com. That's a big word. At Myrick, M-I-R-I-C-K, O'Connell, O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L, two N's, two L's, dot com. And I'd be happy to talk to you. I'd be happy to answer an email, you know, if, because this is a complicated topic. But the biggest thing is go talk to your senior center, you know, call the folks at Bay Path Elder Services, find yourself a geriatric care manager. Think ahead. Think ahead. That's the key. And then you get, you'll sleep better. That seems to always be a mantra in elder law is think ahead. Try to figure it out, make a plan, because that's really what you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's going to help you sleep. You know, hard, you know, you get old. This is the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night. So, you know, if you have a plan, it's going to help you sleep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, for Arthur, for everything you do. And uh, appreciate your being on On Air with Myrick O'Connell again. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Appreciate it. I'm Howard Kaplan. Thanks for joining us, and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. (laughs) 